Where is he going? What is he doing? But I want to focus today, and hopefully every day as I read, amen, I'm going to focus on the why of the gospel. I want to focus on the how of the gospel. I want that to really reinvigorate how I see the gospel, how I see Jesus, how I talk about Jesus, how I talk about the gospel, how I live the gospel and live in Jesus because of Jesus. Amen? So I want to kind of have that on our minds, that two-dimensional versus three-dimensional View And are we just focusing on the what of what happens in the text? Well, read my 12 verses. I'm going to check. I'm done for the day. Or are we digging in and saying, why did that happen? And what is that person feeling? And what was Jesus' tone of voice? Why the gospel? What the gospel? How the gospel? And why and how does that affect us? Amen. And our what's and our daily what's. So we're going to be digging in a little bit there. Um, I'm excited. Let's pray. Dear God. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you bring us all together. Thank you that we are able to worship you. Thank you that we're able to hear about you, that we're able to hear about powerful Jesus, countercultural Jesus, uh, Jesus that breaks chains, Jesus that isn't scared of us and our mess, Jesus that has a plan when we don't have a plan, Jesus that sees desperate people, he sees a future for them more than what we can even imagine in the moment. Um, God, thank you so much that you are always working, even when we don't know what is up and what is down, that you have a plan and purposes for everything. Uh, Thank you so, so much, Lord. I pray that you would just speak through me today, that um, be less of Charlie and more of you. Thank you for uh, everything you're doing, that you have done, that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's pick it up. I'm just going to take a little run here at uh, Mark 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 34. We're going to drop it down to 34. So 24 through 34. That's 10 little verses, right? And in the other gospel, it's even shorter. In Matthew, I think it's actually four verses, which is funny because if you get to know the personality of the gospel, that's another thing. Each writer has a personality, right? And each gospel has a personality. So these aren't rote things that we're kind of just slamming through on our way to a checkbox, you know, on our way to work. These are things that we can kind of get to know and become more familiar with. And people joke and say that Mark is the action gospel. It's the gospel that kind of runs through things. It's, you know, it's, it's action packed. It doesn't get a whole lot of flowery language like John might. We get caught up in medical terms and definitions like Luke might. Kind of runs at things. But in this little piece here that we see, Mark takes a little more time than Matthew does, and he explains some more things. So instead of the four verses in Matthew, we're going to go to 10 here in Mark, and we're going we're gonna to pick it up. So I'm going to run through it, and then we're going to dig in a little bit, okay? All right. So here we are in verse 4. Now, this is the 24, excuse me. So this is an interesting thing. This story... We're going to talk about a woman that Jesus heals. And some people call her the unnamed woman, right? What's another name for her? What else have you heard her called? The bleeding woman, right? Or the woman with the issue of blood. And so it's interesting that in some cases she's unnamed. And in some cases she's named by her affliction. Interesting. You ever felt named by your affliction? You ever felt like that's all I am is my problem? All I am is my mental health problem. All I am is my impurity. All I am is my harshness. We've joked before about different people. One time Jesse was preaching and I love what Jesse preaches. And he said, you know, I feel like I'm the man that my sin follows behind me. My sin doesn't go out before me. And I preached a couple weeks later. I said, I feel like I'm like 
pig pen from the, uh, the, the, right? My sin is everywhere around me. It's before me. It's behind me. It's around me. It's on you. It's everywhere, right? And so it's, it's interesting. Sometimes you can feel named, defined, consumed by your affliction. So depending on your translation, it might say that. Mine right now, it says Jesus heals a woman and Jerry's daughter. But sometimes it says right there, bleeding woman, you know, woman with the issue of blood. That's the name of the story. But Jesus says there's more to this story. Want to find out with me? Want to find out what more there is? I found things uh, this week, this couple weeks, digging into this that I had not seen, experienced, thought of before. And so I hope that we all can kind of find some new nuggets today and and not in a novel sense, but in a sense of we're digging into the why and the how of the gospel, right? Not just the what. So come along with me. We're going <laughs> to take a little trip here. In 24, it says, so he's, like I said, he's on his way. He's not on his way to this woman. And at this time, the woman that we know isn't even on her way to him, at least not at first. In verse 21, we'll just pick it up there. And Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side. Where is he coming from? He just healed the demon-possessed man, right? And the people there couldn't wait for Jesus to leave on that side of the river. But on this side, they couldn't wait for him to get there. They were excited. There were crowds. There were throngs. They were excited to see Jesus. How do we know? Because a great crowd gathered around him as he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Wow. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Jesus is an awesome guy, agreeable fellow. He's like, okay, we'll go. We'll go right now with you to your daughter who is sick and dying. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So so that's the what. But what's the, the how? How does that feel? What does a great crowd thronging around him feel like? you think it's loud or quiet? It's loud, right? Do you think it's a, a calm place or is it a noisy, rambunctious, probably smelly, there's dust kicking up? Let's get real. You know, this is a, a, a wild thing. And think about when people, even, you know, Senator Collins this week, she had bodyguards, right? People were trying to throng around her. His disciples were, tr- were around him. People were like, hey, Jesus, I got an issue. Jesus, I got a deal. Jesus, what about me? Hey, Jesus, can you heal my sickness? Can you heal my dean? People were thronging around him, right? Hey, Jesus, is it true that you did this? Is it true that you did that? Hey, Jesus, right? It was a rambunctious atmosphere, I think. And if you think differently, I I don't know. (laughs) I think it was probably pretty wild. 24, it says, he went with him in a great crowd. He said, 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, not a little bit, not a lot of bit, but all, all that she had and was no better. You ever feel like you spend all you had and you were no better? You ever feel like you spent all you had and you weren't better, but you were worse? She was worse, it says. Read on. It says, she was no better, but she was worse. Rather, she grew worse. And I think, uh, we're going to talk a little bit, we're not going to go too deep into it, we're going to talk a little bit, I think some of it was worse just because time went on and she was worse, and I think some of the doctors made her worse. I think she got done wrong. I think they didn't know what was wrong with her like Jesus knew. I think they couldn't heal her like Jesus did. I think that they made her worse a little bit too. But rather, she was worse. That's what we know. She grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. 
She had heard the reports about him and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. My plan was to run through this without any commentary and then dig in, but I just can't help myself. I can't, I can't do that. So let's stop there for a second. She heard the reports about Jesus. What did she hear about Jesus? If you're there in Mark 5, you can just flip. It's not a rhetorical question. Flip over and look at Mark 3. A man with a withered hand. Ceremoniously unclean. Jesus healed him. Jesus touched him. What else is there? What else do we see as we just peruse? Do you see any lepers? Any paralytics? Yeah. That's in Mark 1 and 2, right? He does all kinds of stuff, but I think a theme that probably stuck out to this woman who was bleeding for 12 years is that Jesus has touched other people who were unclean. Because let me help you out. If you don't know, maybe this is a good time to go over to Leviticus. Let's go over to Leviticus 15. Let's check it out. We're going to talk about some stuff today. Can we talk about some stuff? We're going to talk about menstrual blood. We're going to talk about emissions. We're going to talk about secretions. We're going to talk about desperation. We're going to talk about shame. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Can we do that? Can we talk about some stuff? All right. Leviticus 15, the entire chapter here is about emissions and secretions. The entire, and it's a long chapter. It's, what do we got here? We got, we got 34 verses just about emissions and secretions. We're going to talk about why that is in a moment, but let's just check this out. So if a woman has a, this is in verse 25, excuse me, of, of chapter 15 of Leviticus. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness. Now, I just want to, but we're going to go on. But before I go on, God doesn't hate women. He didn't hate them then. He doesn't hate them now. God's not in the business of making women feel shame. He wasn't then. He isn't now. You say, well, Charlie, I don't know. You know, maybe you know a little bit above, you know, you're like, well, you're about to say that he put them outside the camp. You're about to say they had to wash the bed and the basin and all these things so they wouldn't defile anyone with their uncleanness. That's true. But I, again, so that's the what, right? But how about the why? Why did Jesus do it? Why did God do that? Why is it set up that way? We're going to talk about it, okay? So stay with me. Stick with me. Amen? So let's check this out. She shall continue in uncleanliness, as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. It's pretty heavy, right? So we're getting a bigger picture of how this woman's feeling. How long was she unclean? 12 years. There's some people here that aren't 12 years old. There's some people here, you know, that's a long time. There's some people here, that's half your life. That's a long time. Not me, but, <laughs> but it's some people, <laughs> right? Okay, 12 years. Uh, whoever touches these things shall be unclean. So we see here, and are you drawing some parallels? Start to think about parallels because it doesn't stop with her, right? But the things that make her unclean, because she's unclean, they also make others unclean. You can't touch, you can't handle, you can't be with, you can't be around. Do you remember the lepers? We talked about how he had healed lepers before in chapter 2 of Mark, right? Well, she must have been fired up about that because the lepers were the only people that had it worse than her as far as impurity. It says in Leviticus a couple chapters over that they had to grow their hair out and they had to rip their clothes and they had to walk around and proclaim their uncleanliness to the world. You ever feel like that? <laughs> you ever feel like society makes you do that? You ever feel like people expect you to do that? You ever, you ever treat yourself that way because of something that happened to you? 
Were you assaulted? Were you hurt? Were you molested? Were you, did something happen and you feel like you walk around with your hair down and your clothes torn because you're unclean? You might feel that way. They made the lepers actually do it physically, not metaphorically, not symbolically. They made them do it. They had to rip their clothes and grow their hair out and walk around and announce themselves. Unclean! Unclean! They had to yell it out in a crowd. Now, she didn't have to do that per se, but she had to isolate herself. Now, we're going to dig in a little bit. Every woman that had their time of, of the moon, their time of blood, whatever you want to say, their menstrual period, they had to be outside of the camp, and they had to be outside for seven days. And this is why. Again, not because God hated women, but because God knew science before we did one. Okay, that's one part of it. He knew about communicable diseases. He knew about blood-borne pathogens. He knew things that they didn't know. Okay? And he said it's best medically, scientifically, if we put them outside and make sure everything's clean. Because there were some nations that weren't doing basic cleanliness things and they were dying. They were plagued. They were ravaged by the effects of their uncleanliness. A second part of it is this. In that culture, God actually appointed times of rest. Whoa! That's probably the most miraculous thing you'll hear all day, maybe. God believed in rest. I don't believe in rest. You don't believe in rest. I run myself ragged. I told my wife, why did we do all the things we did this weekend? We did like seven things on a Saturday. Right? Preaching the next day. I'm like, this is, this is kooky. You know what I mean? This is kooky pachooky. But that's what we do. We run ourselves ragged. Right? But Jesus, God, set up times for rest. And he has done so since the beginning. He rested after he created the world. He called it good, and he rested. If we call something good, we do more. That's good. Let's do more. That's good. Let's make it bigger. That's good. Let's, let's do another. If this is what I did in seven days, imagine what I could do in 14 days and in 21 days. You know what I mean? They go online. Jesus was, no, it's good. Let's rest. It's good. Sabbath, rest. He gave women, I don't know, I don't think the average is seven days of menstrual blood. I think it's probably more like two to four, maybe five. You know what I mean? You got a couple days. God gave you a couple days on the end. Hey, take those days for you. Just hang out. And you think I'm joking. There's nothing you can do while being isolated that's useful to the rest of the population. You can't wash clothes. You can't take care of the kids. You can't. Why? Because you'd make it all unclean. Anything that you do besides sitting and praying, you know what I mean? And even that, at the time, they, they thought they, they didn't, the curtain wasn't torn then, okay? Jesus hadn't come yet. So you couldn't make sacrifices. You couldn't, there was lots of things you couldn't do. So you were just kind of by yourself. You were kind of hanging out. Now, it's a good thing for rest. You get some rest, you know what I mean? And it's hard on your body, right? It's, it can be uncomfortable, you know? So God set it up in a way to protect women to protect people it wasn't a punishment but i'll tell you what it's like you ever like oh, gosh i wish i could take a sick day today golly i wish i could have a sick day what happens if you're three days out of work you're like, oh, i can't wait to get work right you're clawing at the walls because a little rest is good but too much rest is crazy sauce especially if you're not doing anything else you know what i mean you're crazy Again, 12 years of this, 12 years is a long time. I have some notes here. 12 years is 4,383 days of uncleanliness. 144 months, a week that God gives you outside the camp to recoup, right? Well, it's 624 weeks, 12 years is. 
That's 105,192 hours of being unclean. So God set this up to, you know, the construct of this time out, the seven days outside the camp, as a helper, as a, a, a rest, as him looking out for you and for us. Excuse me, right? But 12 years for her, that's yeah. suffering. That's a long time. She's been through it. She's not happy about it. She's not encouraged, okay? She's not. That's 12 years since she was able to celebrate the Passover. That's like Christmas for us. That's a big deal. It's Feast of Tabernacles. That's a huge thing, right? She couldn't celebrate. No sins forgiven, okay? For 12 years, she couldn't go make sacrifices, and she couldn't, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, she couldn't do that. Rosh Hashanah wasn't taking part of that either, right? She was completely cut off. She was cut off spiritually. She was cut off generationally from her. She couldn't, anyone that she touched or was around, she made unclean. This was isolating, isolating. She bore the emotional and physiological baggage, psychological baggage of this, okay? Being unclean and untouchable, think about that tangibly. What does that mean? No hugs and kisses from your spouse if you're married. Couldn't touch your kids. Certainly couldn't be intimate. Are you crazy? You couldn't be intimate. Cut off. Cut off, because then, then you're making that person unclean. And if it's a habitual thing, maybe you'll make them habitually unclean. Wild. Couldn't do housework. Could be a wife or a mom. Imagine that. Whew. She had to sit in isolation for 12 years, staring at a wall, pretty much. Now, this is going to sound intense, but for all intents and purposes, she might as well have been dead. She might as well have been dead. I bet there's days where she wished she was dead. You ever wish that? God, I wish I was dead right now. I wish I can't overcome this sin. I've tried. I just get hurt and hurt again. Every time I get vulnerable... It comes back in my face. Every time I tell somebody, they treat me like a leper. Every time I think I'm over this, it comes up again and again and again. Am I alone? Can you feel this? Have you ever wished you were dead? Have you ever asked God to take you? Ever put on a pillow, crying your eyes out and said, I hope I don't wake up. I hope these eyes close for the last time. You ever feel that? That's how she felt. I bet it didn't take no 12 years to feel that way either. Okay? I bet it didn't take 12 years. I bet pretty early on into that. You ever watch Castaway and see his descent into madness? You know what I mean? He was gone for like three years or something like that. This is 12 years. I can't. I don't want to. Can't. There's more to talk about. <laughs> but I just want to make sure we get it. Do we get that? Yes. She's suffering. And that's before talking about the doctors. That's before talking about, you know, the implications of social ostracization. That, that's before we even go there. Okay, but we got the idea. I think we can leave Leviticus in a second. But I just want you to know that, again, everything on which she sits shall be unclean. And in the uncleanliness of her menstrual impurity is everyone that touches her. And whoever touches these things shall also be made unclean. It really, it goes on. And the priest shall use, so, so it, it basically tells us that if for seven days she is clean, then you can start talking about restoration moving forward. If there's seven days where there's no blood, then she can go forward and the priest shall uh, take two pigeons. If she can't afford two turtle doves, that is, two pigeons will do. And you bring them into the priest and he'll use one for a sin offering and the other for a burn offering. And the priest will make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge, okay? So this is all an illustration about sin, right? So it, 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 it's, it, it's heavy. It's supposed to be like, you know, God's not punishing women, but this is a lot. She's certainly feeling a lot, okay? 
Okay, I'm done with Leviticus 15. Just know that before that, that's verse 25. The other verses before that are about men, too. So God, <laughs> God's not picking on women. Men, men were unclean for lots of things also. Because, again, God knew about science, right? God knew about syphilis. He knew about all kinds of things. He knew about communicable diseases and, and blood-borne pathogens. And he knew there were lots of reasons why we should be careful with those things scientifically. Now, he knew more than the other nations knew. We want to talk a little bit about what she may have encountered when she went to the doctors and said, help me, it's been so long. They did some crazy stuff. Some of it's just hocus pocus. Some of the doctors said, why don't you go ahead and take a tooth of a fox and carry that around with you for a little while. That'll help you out. If you can't get a tooth of a fox, perhaps the fingernail or the toenail of a hanged person is more readily accessible to you and you can wear that around. Here's a good one. Take the egg of an ostrich, grind it up, and put it in a sack around your neck. Now, if it's in the winter, then it's a woolen sack. If it's in the, in the springtime, it can be a, uh, another type of sack. I forget at the moment. But there's, you know, it's crazy. Can you imagine? I don't know. Now, maybe, maybe there's stuff like, oh, this is why. But there's other things they said to do. He said, you know what? If that doesn't work, if the rabbit foot, if the fox tooth ain't working for you, then go out and get some onions, wild Roman onions. And you put these onions in some wine and you cook it and then you have her drink it and that should help. Okay, now if that didn't work, you can put her on, on, on kind of like a forked road where two roads meet and you put her there and you come up behind her while she's holding a cup of wine in her hand and you say, Flux be gone! And you scare the flux right out of her. Now this is just ignorant. And most of it to me, correct me, maybe you come to me, I challenge you, come to me next week and say, Charlie, this is why the Roman onions, maybe, I'm sure maybe there's things they thought they were doing. But the thing is that she actually had a medical condition, okay? I'm going to find my card. I'm going to tell you about it because this I don't have memorized. But <laughs> So scholars agree that this passage refers to definitely menstrual bleeding. But furthermore, they think this woman, the gynecologists and, and scholars agree, they think it was, I'm probably butchering this word, menometrohagia. Did someone know? I was waiting for somebody to be like, hey, actually, bro, it's called. Okay. And that results in heavy, irregular, and unpredictable menstrual periods. Doesn't sound fun, right? Who thinks, sign me up for that? No, right? Doesn't sound good. So this is, and I'm not making light of anything, but your average menstrual time is probably like, you know, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable. Maybe I'm a lot uncomfortable. Maybe I'm, I'm moody, you know? Maybe I'm, I'm just not feeling myself. Maybe I'm hindered in different ways. Well, this is, this is, this is more. This is intense. This is sign you up for the, the advanced course in that, right? Potential causes were tumors, polyps around the tissue of the uterus, okay? But the most likely thing, so they could have been all those things, but most likely they think it was called anovulation. And what that means is her hormonal rhythms were badly off balance. They were out of whack, okay? And as a result, she was not maturing an egg in her ovary and releasing it on a regular basis. So what happens? It's continual blood, bleeding, heavy, irregular, hemorrhaging, they call it. Now, when we think of hemorrhage, we think like, blah, that, was, that wasn't what it was. But it's, you know, to imagine that that's the word that you use, hemorrhaging. You're hemorrhaging. For how long? Twelve years, right? Man, it's like, it's overwhelming. Can you say it's overwhelming? It's a lot. It's overwhelming for me to like talk about and to think about. Imagine experiencing that. So I was going to do some word association in the beginning, but I, I don't want to pick this thing up. Whatever. But I was going to ask you to say some things about this woman. woman. When you think about her, what do you think describes her, defines her as words? I think she's feeling. And I'll tell you what, after reading all this, I think she's feeling discouraged. Would you say that's 
of yes. things she's feeling. I'd say she's feeling desperate. Would you say that's something she's feeling? Yeah. When I say desperate, what do you think? What's desperation mean? You do anything. Webster's defines it as a state of despair, usually resulting in rash or extreme behavior. So now we get to the point where we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the exciting bits. Okay? Amen. What happens when this woman gets so desperate she'll do anything? When she's so tired that she just says, I, I got to, got to, got to do something else or I'm going to die. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And I'll tell you what, she may have died 12 years of bleeding like this and, and, and I don't want to get too intense. I feel like I've already gotten kind of intense. But when it talks about, so those are some of the crazy things that you carry around a, a, a fingernail of a hanged man. That, that's, that's spooky, right? But... There are other things that doctors did in those days, and I'll just say it was burning and cutting of the affected area, okay? Burning and cutting. And I, I don't want to think about burning and cutting today, let alone burning and cutting 1,800, 2,000 years ago. What the heck was that like? Not good. She suffered greatly. You get in the picture? Suffered greatly at the hands of physicians and did not get better, but was in fact made worse. Now, interestingly enough, it doesn't say that in Luke's gospel. <laughs> Luke, Luke the doctor doesn't talk about how doctors made her worse. He just says it was hard on her, right? Amen. I'm not saying he's lying, but I'm saying he, he didn't say that in his gospel. Like, again, this is talking about when you read the Bible, are you, do you pick that up? Are you getting to know the, the writers and, and you know, their, their, their peccadilloes and the things that they do, their, their personality and the personality of... of because the Holy Spirit wrote this, right? God wrote the Bible, but He used people, and, and they're in there, and they're, you know, you can, hey, Moses said this, Paul said this, Peter said this, you know, this is what Luke said or didn't say. Interesting side notes, okay? So, okay, let's go back to Mark 5. Ready to get back to the gospel? Let's get back to the gospel, because this is what. We talked about the what and a little bit of the why. Now we're going to hear the how. How does Jesus fix it? Can I get, can you agree with me? We might not agree on everything, right? Can we agree that Jesus is powerful? Yes. Is he more powerful than your problem? Yes. Is he more powerful than, than the rage and the anger and the shame that lives inside me? Maybe he's in you. I don't got that stuff. But you've got some stuff. I don't know what your stuff is. But you've got some stuff. Okay? My sister told me to watch this show on the Netflix the other day. And this guy, A Million Little Pieces. Anybody heard about it? Yeah. A Million Little Things. So there's a scene where one of the main characters, you think he's like going to be the main character, and he is in some ways, but he dies. He jumps off a building. And when one of his friends calls the other friend to tell him, hey, John just died, homeboy spits a bunch of pills out of his mouth into the sink. He's about to kill himself too. And so I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know, you don't know what's going on in my life, but we all have things. We all got stuff, and sometimes it feels like too much, doesn't it? But Jesus is powerful. We just agreed on that, right? So let's go and see how Jesus showed the gospel to this woman. This woman who was despairing. This woman who was desperate, right? Desperate enough to do some rash things. Let's talk about it. Let's go on. She heard the reports about Jesus. This is 27, verse 27 of chapter 5 of Mark. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, she should not have even been out of her isolation spot, okay? She shouldn't have been out. She could come out for certain things under certain to go to the doctors. But you know what? They probably brought the doctor to her most times, okay? But she was in a crowded space with lots of people. And she touched a holy man. 
Now, Jesus, let's say, can I hear you say, nothing can make Jesus unclean? Nothing can make Jesus unclean. Okay? Nothing can. Nothing nothing can. So, Jesus is a special case. But this was just some other rabbi. She just messed him up. She just messed his whole day up. Okay? He's ceremoniously unclean. Now, there's a whole thing he has to do. He has to wash and he's unclean. He can't be around his disciples. He can't be teaching. That's... That's a struggle. That's inconvenient. That's a bad day. That's not good. (laughs) Okay? And I'll tell you what. Two-dimensional reading of the Bible, I've always thought of this woman as kind of like this, like a saint, you know? She was so filled with faith, fearless faith, desperate faith. She walked up to him and she said, I'm going to claim that healing, right? I'm going to tell you she was being sneaky. She was being sneaky. You might, that might rub you the wrong way. Do a little research on it. There is no way, based on her reaction, when Jesus turns around... She was trembling with fear. We're going to get there. Why? Because she done got caught. (laughs) She got caught doing something she shouldn't have been doing. According to the laws of the day. Okay? Jesus. We're going to talk about how Jesus responds to her. I'll tell you how most rabbis would have responded to her. They would have picked up some rocks. They would have made some rocks ceremoniously unclean. And they would have killed her with them. That's what would have happened. That's what would have happened. Because she willingly disobeyed ceremonial law and touched someone, made them unclean. Because she was so desperate. They wouldn't have had mercy on her. Do you think Jesus had mercy on her? Yeah. Let's read on, shall we? Oh my. Okay. She touched his garment. Whoa! For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She had heard the report. She heard so much that she knew. And this isn't odd, right? People say, hey, just say the word. You don't have to come. Just say the word and he'll be healed, right? Wild. So she had heard, said, he touches unclean people. He heals lepers. He's making blind people see. He's touching a man with, with, with the hand, the withered hand, right? Because people weren't touching any of those people. You remember about the, the man at the pool of Bethsaida? Why was he there for so many years? Because no one was helping him in. Nobody was helping him in. He's like, hey, I'm here. If I could just get in the water. And people are like, yeah, if you could just get in the water, that'd be great. But they weren't, they weren't going to, you know what I mean? That'll be, that'll be a cool thing when it happens. But they weren't going to do it. They weren't helping him. Now, does anyone's translation of the Bible say, touch the hem or the tassel of his garment? Does your Bible say that? I have the ESV. It doesn't say that. But does yours say that? Some of them say the, the, the tassel. Or the, the hem of the garment. Mine just says garment. But that's the last thing we're going to really dig into there. Why didn't she just touch his sandal or his back? Why didn't she jump up and ha? Why she was being sneaky, right? But is there significance in the tassel? There is. I have that on a note somewhere, but I can't find it right now. I'm off book. I'm off notes. So, <laughs> so the reason why is because men in Jewish culture who were religious and practiced their religion, their Judaism, devoutly, they wore a thing on the end of their, probably more like here, right? <laughs> on the end of their garment, and it has a name that I can't pronounce right now, but you can look it up, it starts with a T. And, <laughs> and it had 613 little tassels on it. And you know what that represented? The 613 laws of the Talmud, right? First five books. And so they believe that this symbolized, that was an expression of their faithfulness to God. And there was a blue 
thread in there. Some of them were all blue. And that represented their constantly having, as it waved around, it was, it, was, it was symbolizing how the word of God is fluid and constant in their lives, and they are committed to it devoutly, okay? And so most scholars believe that when she touched the hem of his garden, she touched that tassel, titsiak, something like that, right? I'll, be, I'll do better next time, church. I'll have, those, I'll have those Greek words for you. But she grabbed that tassel, and her faith connected with his faithfulness. And she was transformed by that. Because Jesus is faithful. Do we agree on that? Jesus is faithful all the time. We don't think he is. When we're like, if Jesus was faithful, I would have been healed. If Jesus was faithful, I wouldn't be feeling like this. If Jesus was faithful, why do I want to kill myself? Why do I feel hopeless? Why can't I beat this sin? I've tried before. I got made a fool of. I was done wrong. I was hurt. I was abused. Things happened to me that shouldn't have happened to me. If God was faithful, if Jesus was faithful, why did those things happen? We live in a fallen world, right? I wish a lot of things didn't happen to me. I wish I didn't do a lot of things to people. Okay? Sometimes those hurt things. Can, I, can we agree on this? Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Right? Those are the gifts that keep on giving. Now, conversely, the gifts of faith keep on giving too. Okay, and so it's a war. It's a culture war. It's going back and forth between hurt and healing. Satan wants to kill and destroy. He's hoping, okay, I'm betting I can get her to give up. I'm betting she'll, she's not going to go out to Jesus. She's not going to risk the shame and the fear. She's going to stay. She's going to die. She's going to despair. She's going to wallow. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. And he succeeds more than he should. He succeeds more than he should. But it doesn't have to be that way because Jesus is powerful, right? And when our faith connects with his faithfulness, anything can happen. You believe it? Anything can happen then. Come on. Whew. I'm all off my notes. I I don't know where I'm at, but I know that Jesus is working. And here he says in verse 29... So she touched him. She said, for, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. Immediately. Immediately the flow of blood dried up. Whew. Oh my. Oh my. And she felt powerful. And in her body that she was healed of her disease. What does that feel like? Have you ever been healed of something? What does that feel like? It's like, Wow. Sometimes it's choice. Sometimes it's like, hey, I actually haven't drank in, since, for me, August 14, 2009. Amen. Day by day, minute by minute, Jesus healed me. I didn't think I'd make it to 30. I didn't think I'd be married or have a kid or, you know, be <laughs> right before this. Uh, the, the story before this was a demon-possessed man. That's my story. That's my story. Jesus healed me. Again, it's minute by minute. And it's day by day, and it's choice by choice. But have you ever been healed? Have you ever felt that? Felt it stop? Sometimes, you know, it's not instantaneously. And sometimes it, it takes a little time. Sometimes uh, we, we have to keep exercising our faith and keep grabbing that tassel, you know, to connect with the healing, you know. You've got to demand it sometimes like she did. <laughs> I don't care what happens. I'm going out there. I'm going to touch him, you know. Okay, so she touched him. She was healed. Like that, the blood dried up and she felt in her body she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around and said, Who touched my garments? Is that how he said it? Yeah. 
I don't think so. <laughs> but he did say, who touched my garments? I think he, now this is right, because this isn't the what. The what is that he said the words, who touched my garments? That's what he said. But how did he say it? I think he looked, he said, who touched me? Who touched my garments? Who did that? And what is it? Peter is often the one to speak. Are you often the one to speak? Sometimes you're the one hanging back. I'm, I'm Peter. <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, what do you mean? Who touched your garments? People are thronging about you. We described the crowd earlier, right? This crowd was moving. They were trying to get autographs or something. They were pressing in on Jesus. And Peter says, like the Lord doesn't know. He's like, he's like hey, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure if you've looked around. But the crowd is dense. The crowd is thick. They're throwing you. They're pushing in. How can you? He's even a little it's like annoyed. How can you say who touched you? Okay? And then his disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And yet you say, you know what I mean? Could you ever get a little attitude with Jesus? You get an attitude with your disciples? You get an attitude, why aren't I healed yet? How can you say? You know, we get these, these attitudes, right? And God bless us. We feel entitled to them sometimes. That's what they said. How can you say, and yet you say, who touched me? Again, do you ever read that and not even think about it? Think about what we're reading, right? Think about it. How did they say it? What did it mean? What was, what was Jesus' face like when Peter's like, and yet you say? Jesus was Jesus, so his face was probably calm. What would your face have been like? It's an interesting thing to think about. Okay, so he looked around to see who had done it. Who touched me? Who touched me? Kind of, I think he's like quizzical. He's like, hey, who touched me? Hey, I felt some power leave me, some virtue leave me, some power escape from me just now. Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. When she says, knowing what had happened to her, I think she means it both ways. I think it's, she knew what had happened those 12 years of suffering and shame and burden and isolation, and she knew what happened when she connected her faith with his faithfulness. She knew the transformation. But she also knew it wasn't supposed to happen that way. She took it. She said, I, I, you know, I, I'm glad she did, but according to the laws of the day, she was wrong. She was wrong. And sometimes people will say, you're wrong for getting your healing. They say, you shouldn't talk about it. You don't talk about things like that. That was years ago. He didn't mean it. He didn't know, right? Well, I don't know what your situation is, but I bet sometimes people try to keep you quiet and not to get your healing, okay? I think Jesus wants us to be healed. He wants to heal us. And if that's a mental health professional for years, then you go see that professional. If it's, I don't know what it means for you, okay? But the spirit knows, and I pray that you connect with that spirit right now and that he tells you, hey, this is what, Charlie's a knucklehead. He's not going to say your thing, but I know your thing and you know your thing. And, and together, we can meet up the tassel and the hand. We can touch and we can get healed, okay? Even if you've done it before. Maybe it's studying the Bible. Maybe you're like, no, I know what that means, Charlie. That's silly and y'all are this and y'all are that. It's not about me. It's not about Glenn. It's not about the silly studies that we do, but it's about the power of Jesus through the Bible. And how it transforms our minds. It can heal us of things that nothing else can heal us from, okay? Forget about culture. Forget about me. Forget. She didn't hear about church. 
She wasn't handed a, a, a card and said, come to church, which, hey man, hand people cards. I'm going to hand a lot of these cards out. Okay, I'm not saying don't hand out cards. What I'm saying is she heard about Jesus. She heard that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news. If people hearing and talking and telling and confessing and Jesus being praised, I was, they, they couldn't bind me with chains, said the demon-possessed man, but he ran to the ten cities of the Decathlon. And he, taught, he wanted to go with Jesus. He said, take me with you. Make me exactly number 13. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I got other plans for you. Amen. And he sent him out. And that man was the first missionary. That's what I see in my gospel. He was the first missionary. They, he was cutting himself with stones. You ever hurt yourself? You ever cut yourself with stones? You ever hurt yourself by being in a place where you shouldn't be, in a relationship you shouldn't be? Maybe you've actually hurt yourself. There's lots of ways to hurt yourself. But Jesus said, you can be a missionary. You can go to the ten cities. You can tell people. She heard about Jesus. That's the good news. She heard the report. She said, Jesus isn't afraid of my condition. Jesus doesn't see me as broken. Jesus has a plan for me. So this woman who we call unnamed. We know her by her affliction. We know her by the bleeding woman, the woman with the issue of blood, right? What does Jesus say to her? She looked around, right? Woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter. He called her daughter. I didn't get the time to do all the research that I wanted to do. So you do some research too and fact check me. I think that's the only time he called someone daughter in that context. Even if it wasn't, he called her daughter. I mean, it's the first time up to Mark 5, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. He calls her daughter. What does he say? Daughter, your faith has made you well. I couldn't even say that in a bad way if I wanted to. You know how I did before the, you know, who touched me? How can you say, he said, daughter. Think about your daughter. Think about your son. Think about how you want to comfort them. Son, daughter, it's okay. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. I believe that we're either getting better or we're getting worse. Do you believe? I believe that there's no, it's not like a video game where you pause. I'm at level seven and I just stay here. We regress or we progress, right? We go forward or we go back. Is our faith making us well? What is faith? I had definitions I was going to do too. I didn't do that. What's faith? The substance, Hebrews 11.1, 1, we know that? Yeah, yeah. It's the substance of things hoped for, and what? Evidence. The evidence of what we cannot see. When we can't see a way out. When we can't see healing. When we say, I've tried and tried, and guess what? I'm still, I do this. I do this. I can't stay off the computer. I can't do, I can't do this. I'm constantly mean to my wife. I'm harsh. I'm an angry man. I'm a, I'm a violent man. I'm a man of blood. I'm a, I can't respect my husband. I just cut him down all the time. I nitpick him. I just, I just can't show him respect. I can't get out of my own way. Whatever it is to you. Maybe you, you know what? Maybe you're proud. Okay? Because we can talk about, we talked a lot about like, this is a messy, bloody scene we're talking about. And my sins are loud and brash and you can see them. I almost thank God 
that I'm an alcoholic like that. I'm a drug addict and I'm an angry man. Because you can see my stuff and you can call me on it. Do you have sins hidden in you, locked away in you, that keep you out of heaven, that aren't so loud, that aren't so brash? You know them. You know what they are. There's a book called Respectable Sins, and it talks about the things like pride. It talks about arrogance and apathy and things, you know, that are a little tougher to spot sometimes. Okay? Those things are hurting you too, and they're hurting people around you. And if you don't get them out of there, if you don't say, I'll do what I have to do. I'll talk about it. I'll get some help. I'll read a book. I'll pray. I'll get open with somebody. I'll tell you what. When I first came around the church, you know, every culture has things that are good and bad. Amen? There's things that need to change. Okay? In this church, in this culture, there's things that always need to change. When I came, the two things they taught me were confess your sin and pray with people. Those were the big things. Other people had different things. They said, well, I, you study the Bible and you do this. You share your faith. Those are the two things. We study and we share or whatever. Different cultures have different things. Mine was you confess your sin and you pray. I've gotten away from that. But I'll tell you what. Things weren't always easy. But I was confessing my sin when I was praying more. I think things were better for me spiritually. I think I was in a better spot. You know, I didn't have nothing to lose. Then we get in the kingdom a little while and we feel kind of, you know, we're like the Jews, right? We were never slaves to nobody, you know? We are Abraham's children. I'm a this, I'm a that. I lead this committee. I'm a leader. I'm a Bible. I'm a small group, you know, facilitator. I lead this ministry. I do that. I'm training to be an elder. I'm, you know, I'm an evangelist, whatever it is, you know? I'm the best lay preacher or whatever, you know, whatever silly things are real or not real that we cling to. Guess what? There's stuff inside. And if we're not, not in a, I'm not trying to guilt anybody out. I'm the worst of all sinners. Paul said that because he killed Christians. But I believe that I'm the worst of all sinners. Someone posted a thing on Facebook the other day and said, what do I tell, it's a preacher in our movement, and said, what do I tell people to help them be more humble? What's a question I can ask to provoke humility? I've got all kinds of answers. Ask them if they're humble. If they say yes, they're not. You know, we've got all kinds of answers. And I said, hey, that's a good one. That's a good one. What I said to him was, I don't post on those things because those things are like a trap sometimes. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's not good. I leave a lot of stuff alone. But um, I responded and I said, ask them if they fear God. Ask them if they appropriately fear God. If we fear God, I bet you there's going to be a correlation to humility. Okay? If we're real with the people around us, I bet you there's going to be a correlation to the healing that we receive. If we are desperate in our faith and say, nothing's going to stand away from my getting healed. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. I'm going to go after I'm going to touch Jesus. It's about Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That she heard about him. Jesus the chain breaker. Jesus the leper toucher. Jesus was counter-cultural. And I'll tell you what. Talk about counter-cultural. We're going to talk about some, some stuff next week, right? And there's a lot that we need to change in our culture. There's a lot of things we need to do better we got to get rid of some excuses and just flat out repent of some things and dismantle some things that are hurting a lot of people. Can I get an amen? amen? It's hurting people, and we're not doing enough about it. On the other end of that, Jesus preached enemy love. He loved his enemies. Right. He didn't hate them. He loved them. And aren't you glad of that? Amen. He loved you when you were an enemy. Okay? If he, just like she should have got stoned, you, me, we're done for. That cross up there at the gym show should have been for us. Yeah. Okay, worse than that. <sighs> I'm glad that Jesus practiced enemy love. I want to practice it more. I want to take offense to less and love more. There are some things that need to change. I'm not saying we look the other way. I'm not saying we put our head in the sand. I'm not saying we let archaic and awful systems that oppress people 
continue and that we profit from it still. I'm not saying that. Don't get me twisted. But what I am saying is that I'm glad that Jesus practices enemy love. I'm glad that Jesus didn't post on his Facebook about me. He's the devil. I hate him. He should, you know, he's the worst, you know. If he works with me, it's good. But if he rebels against me, I hate him. I hate him. Because the heathens do that, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. It's a lot. That's heavy. That's heavy. There's been things I know. There's the things. There's things that make me want to pull my hair out. There's things I don't understand. There's things that I'm like, well, we gotta be at the end times, right? <laughs> Won't be long. You know, like, come back, Jesus, come back. Like, I feel it. I feel. It. I'm stressed out all the time. Where I work, man, there's a constant barrage of news. It's everywhere, and it stresses me out. But Jesus is bigger than all that. He wants to heal. He wants to heal it all. And I believe He can. I believe He can heal it. Briefly, that's what the definition of faith is, right? A substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things we cannot see. What's the definition of fear? An unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat. I'm afraid a lot of the time. I'm afraid a lot. I'm afraid I can't make it. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I can't be the leader, the husband, the father, the disciple, the friend I need to be. And I fail often in those pursuits, okay? Often. Ask my wife, ask my friend. I've got friends and co-workers here. Ask them, ask Carol Ann, ask Don Juan, ask my sister. All the silly knuckle-headed things I do. I fail often. But you know what? I'm going to keep getting up. The Bible says that a righteous man rises. You know what I mean? Falls sometimes and rises. Keeps rising. Keeps getting up. If it's been 12 years, it's been, you know, my sister sometimes say, should sound silly on the phone. I say, you had a long day? She said, I've had a long 24 years, you know? She's 24 years old. So sometimes it feels like that, you know? But Jesus says, keep going. Desperation, state of despair, usually resulting in a rash or extreme behavior. I'm going to end with some questions like this. We're going to end. I'm going to pray and we're going to end. But I want to ask you, are we more fearful than we are faithful? The answer is probably yes. <laughs> if the answer is no, maybe you should get up here and do some talking, you know? And amen. Like, we want it to be more and more, right? We want it to be more and more. We're not, I'm not giving up. But I'm saying, let's take an honest, hard look at what it is. Are we more fearful than we are faithful? And what are we doing about that? What does that mean? How do you know your faith meter is low? Have you stopped praying for a friend or a loved one? I prayed for them for five years. They're not open. They're not getting it. They're not doing it. They're not making the changes. They, they think they know better. I'm sure they do. And right now, so do you. Because you're limiting God. Because you're faithless. Keep praying. Amen. Keep praying. On, bro. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you want to give up. I'm preaching to me, by the way. If you think I'm not preaching to me, then you're wrong. I'm preaching to me. we got to keep praying. Have we given up trying to repent of a certain sin? Do we believe Jesus can't heal us? We would never say that, right? You would never say in your right mind, Jesus is too small for my sin. You know what I mean? We'd never say that. That's silly, you know? That's pride. But sometimes we live that way, don't we? In our actions, we say that. Well, I'm just not, you know, ugh. Let me, let me figure it out, and then I'll get open, and then I'll, you know, whatever. Go to Jesus first. Let him figure it out. Go to your friends one more time. Guess what I did again? Just, you know what I mean? Come on. Get open. I had a, uh, there's a brother in a church in Maryland that I just 
had a lot of feelings about. I was a young Christian and a lot less refined than I am now, and I just had issues with this brother. And I called somebody up, and they said, you need to go to him, you need to get some time, and you confess your sin to him. I thought he was going to say, go to him and lay out all the things he's done wrong against you. Tell him how about a knucklehead he is. You get this grill and tell him, tell him to confess sin to you. He said, confess your sin to him, and then ask him to pray for you. I tell you what, openness breeds openness. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Now, there are some wacky people out there, okay? And I, <laughs> I'm not saying, you, oh, brother, I did that once and I got hurt. I, I know. People, people are awful. People are. We, we do some wacky things. But before me and my God, I'm going to do the best, the most I can, as it depends on me, to try to breed openness, to try to breed vulnerability. If someone hurts me, I'm trying to bring in a God again. If we have to have another talk, I hope that talk is more about Jesus than it is about all my feelings. Okay? Sometimes I gotta share my feelings and I will. I will with some of y'all here. I will. And you share them with me. But guess what? Let's make it about Jesus because I wanna be more faithful than I am fearful. Okay? I wanna be more humble than I am proud. Faith in action. Do you and I have enough faith to be gentlemen no matter what? To deny myself when it hurts. Do I believe that God's plan is bigger and better than my wisdom moment by moment in the big picture, in the small things, in the big things? Do I believe that if I practice a living faith because I believe in a powerful Jesus that he will reward me in ways I can't even think about? Mm, right. Do you believe that? Yeah, it's either true or it's not. Enemy love is either what you should do or you're wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. That's what it is. You know, we gotta get with it, and we gotta say it can be so bad that it doesn't seem like there's a way out. But I have to believe that God will reward my desperate faith. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes this this, this is messy. This isn't like a like Charlie's painting me a pie in the sky story and expecting me to live up to it. That's unfair. This is crazy. Okay. She did some wacky stuff. She was being sneaky. She thought she was going to get away with it. She, that's why she was so afraid. Josh, we were talking, he's like, why was she so afraid? Because she thought she was going to touch him. She believed she was going to get healed, but she thought she was going to walk on right back to her little isolation cabin, sitting there for seven days and straw on the eighth day, say, hey, priest, look at me. I got turtle doves for you. That's what she thought was going to happen. She didn't think that she was going to be called out in the midst of these people and say, I touched, she told them the whole story, told the truth of what happened. She didn't, I bet she didn't think that would happen. Why did Jesus make her do that? Why didn't Jesus just walk to the isolation cabin and have a little private ceremony with him and the disciples, right? Hey, guys, hang back on the ridge. I'll be right back. Why didn't he do that? Because he wanted her to tell her story. Okay? He wanted her to talk about the pain and the hurt and the 12 years of desperation so other people could see and hear. Because guess what? This wasn't an isolated thing. She wasn't the only woman in the world at that time that had this problem. Right. Not the only one today that has that problem. He, Jesus talks about stuff that's real, that's relatable. He talks about lepers because there was a lot of lepers. He talks about blind men because there was a lot of them. Paralytics, there were a lot of them too. And women with the issue of blood, she wasn't the only one. And she wasn't the only person. There were people there, pious men walking by that had their stuff too and needed to see that vulnerability and desperate faith produced results that were amazing. And someone else can hear that report. That's how she got there, right? She heard the report of Jesus. And Jesus is in the business of making more reports that glorify himself and his Father because that's what the gospel is about. That's the gospel. Okay? Let's pray. (laughs) Dear God, 
thank you that you are more powerful than I can even fathom. It says, if all the books in all the world couldn't contain all the stories of what Jesus did, all the reports of his goodness, of his mercy, of his grace, of his love, of his power that comes from you, all the books in all the world couldn't contain them. And all the books in all the world can't contain all the hurt and all the suffering and all the pain that's out there, Lord. But I believe you are bigger and stronger and better than all of that. And death couldn't hold my Jesus. Death couldn't hold him. The gates of hell will not prevail against your church, God. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're working in ways that I can't even fathom and doing things I can't understand. But I want to be a part of it, God. Dust me off, clean me up, send me back out, refit me. Put me in the battle again and again and again. I'll keep getting up, God. Put people in my life that I can be more open with, that I can train and I can be trained by, that I can listen to when they cry and say, me too, brother. Me too. I've been hurt. I've been molested. I've been beat. I've been told I was no good. And Jesus said, come to me. And I will make your mess my message. I will call you son. I will tell you there is no reason for shame. And you get back out there and you tell your story and you talk about me. And you make it about me more than it is about you. And we'll be okay. Thank you, God, that you called this woman daughter. And that when her faith touched your faithfulness, you made a miracle happen. And then you went and did another miracle in the house of Jairus. And people were afraid there too. And you told them, don't be afraid. That little girl's going to get up and walk. And she did. And Jesus said, get her something to eat. Bring her food. Because she's been made well. Thank you, God, that when Jesus healed that woman, he healed her of the sickness, of the disease that she had, and he cleansed her sin. Thank you that you let us know that, that the Greek words say that. Thank you that we can know that your word is true and that your promises are real. I pray your Holy Spirit would work right now and the people in this room that are seeking you, that believe things that are wrong, that have been taught false doctrine, that are locked in desperation, that feel like they don't know the way forward, that don't even really know who this Jesus is would be able to be ministered to by your spirit, they'd be able to study the Bible, and they'd be able to learn about him. They'd be able to hear his reports, and they'd be able to access the healing power that we saw demonstrated today and have seen in so many of our lives, God. Thank you so much for the things you're doing. We love you. We thank you. We look forward to learning more about your gospel in these sermons on Sundays and every day in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.